Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Hello, Boker Tov, and welcome to Exploring the Parsha with not Rabbi Schatz and not Rabbi Shapiro. Um, it is Draggy Honig, for those of you on the podcast who cannot see my face, um, I am so excited to be here with all of you taking a look at Parsha Kiddoshim. So we are, I'm going to start with a summary of the Parsha. I will pull it up, share my screen. Can you all see it? Awesome. Um, so this is where our Parsha starts. Vaidabara Adonai almost Shali more shocking. God. It's talking to Moses, and he is saying. And so we get in we get in this parsha what um, what people call the holiness code. We get these rules, um, but it's an interesting interesting framing um, because as we see in verse two, um, that God speaks and tells Moses to say to them that you, the people, will be holy, for I, God, am holy. Um, and so it's kind of this different framing. We're getting what you might say is a reason. It's no longer just do these things because I say so. It's do these things because you will be holy. So we go through, we get these rules, um, honoring your mother and father, keeping Shabbat. By the way, don't forget, I am God, your God. Um, don't make idols. Don't forget, I am God, your God. We get some rules for <laughs> sacrifice. Um and when you should eat it and where it should be consumed. Don't eat it on the third day. Um, more, more, um, more offerings. Um, this part also, when I was going through it, is so challenging because there's just so much good and juicy stuff. And I think you could teach for the year on this Parsha and not quite get into all of it. Um, but here we get when you reap the harvest of your land, you... Um, don't, don't take all of the corners as we get into leaving the corners of your field for poor people. Um, don't pick your vineyard bare or gather what's fallen, leave it for the poor and the stranger. I am your God. And so all of these rules are now being connected to holiness and to God in a very direct way. That's different than what we've sort of seen previously. Don't steal. Don't, don't lie. Um, don't take God's name in vain. So we've sort of got this recent, re-stating um, of the Ten Commandments. Um, don't defraud your fellow. Don't rob. Um, the, I love this. And again, like we could have taught, I could have easily taught on this. The wages of a laborer shall not remain with you until morning, paying people on time. Um, don't insult the, insult the deaf. Famously, don't place a stumbling block before the blind. Um, don't render... Um, don't be biased in judgment. Don't favor the poor or the rich. Um, judge fairly. And so we've got all of these rules. Um, don't wait. Sorry, one more verse. We'll keep going. Um, do not deal basely with your countrymen and do not profit from the blood of your fellow. Um, so we've got all these rules. And then we're going to come to 1917. Um, and this is the verse we're going to focus on today. So I'll read it in Hebrew and then in English. Um, 
So don't hate your brother in your heart or your kinsfolk as it translates it here. Um, JPS says reprove your kinsmen. I would say like you should definitely rebuke. We use the word tohaha often in English. Rebuke is a great word. Um, your fellow. Um, and do not lotisa alav hate. Do not put upon him sin. Um, or do not put upon yourself. It takes this translation as a reflexive. It's a little harder to see that in the Hebrew. Um, It's an ancient form, but it's there. Um, Incur no guilt because of him. And if you see this little C here, um, the JPS is a little uncertain of what it's saying. So that is our verse we're going to talk about. And I'm going to stop the share. And I'm going to open it for Kushio. Who's got some questions? Can you put it back on, Jackie, so we can see it? Yep. That I can do. There we go. I saw a hand, and then when I started sharing, I met Karen. Incur no guilt because of him. What does that mean? It's a great question. Um, this word, this word, hate, is specifically related to the guilt offering. So it might be a type of sin. Don't don't take on yourself this particular type of sin that would require you to bring a guilt offering. Um, I, it, it might be something else. One of the, I believe one of the comments, one of the commentaries I brought speaks about it, but it's a great question. What does it mean? Also, like, I think there's the two parts of the question. I think one is what does this word actually mean? And then the other thing is what does it mean to not take a sin? And so I think we're going to talk mostly about that second one later. Elon. The verse says, Lo tisna et bil vavecha. Why not just say, Lo tisna et Why bil vavecha? What is the difference between hating your kinfolk, just plain and simple, and hating your kinfolk in your heart? Yeah, that's a great question. What's the difference? I think. For me, when I look at it, it feels like one is an action and one is a thought, which actually I think makes it more challenging. Because to me, Bilbavacha means don't feel it in your heart. Supposed to Lotisna is is often I think used with like don't it's not the same word, but it to me brings out like don't oppress the gar that's in your land. Don't hate feels like an action, don't do this thing. But Vilvavecha to me makes it internal and says, Don't feel this way in your heart, which I think can be really challenging of what is it when Torah tells us to feel something or not feel something in this case. Renee. Well, in, in response to that, I think for me it seems like if it's when it says don't do it in your heart, that it's more of a um an a purer hatred. Like you can just say the words off the cuff and say, oh, well, you know, I hate you, but not really mean it. I think when they put in by them, by Bilavevecha added, I think it means that it's a, a pure hatred and it's more, even more, more sinful because of that. Interesting. I didn't even think about that. I like that. And then you had your hand up before you also had a question. No, that was it. Oh, great. Awesome. Okay. Mike. So. <clears throat> So I'm, uh, you know, if if you are, uh, well, I mean, this is not, you're, it's sort of like uh, loving your neighbor. I mean, the opposite of that, or do not hate your kinfolk in your heart. You, uh, I guess it's, it is really confusing to me because uh, I am wondering, uh, 
how do you how how does one change their feeling in other words how do you like approach somebody who you really um they tell you something and you or know that you're supposed to not hate them you're supposed to love them actually and yet they have a view or they or they hold something uh up as uh that uh you really hold in quite disdain uh and it begs the the question that i have of uh, of of again of feeling and 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 what's the torah telling us how do we separate our feeling from how we act toward that person in other words we're supposed to in a sense um i guess restrain ourselves you know uh, and uh so i think the the idea of restraint uh is important here yeah so i hear a number of things in what you're saying so so you come back to the question of thoughts versus actions and how do we separate them um mm-hmm. and also how do we how do we control what we feel? I think that's a really tough question. Um, and how, and like 2A on that is sort of how do we, what does that mean for us that Torah expects us to feel a certain way? Um, and then also you brought, and I don't know if you did it on purpose because it's in the next verse, um, but there are a bunch of commentators who link this to what comes next. Love your neighbor. Um, love your fellow as you love yourself. Um, and so you didn't ask the question really, but I'll put it out there. You 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 hinted at it, but what is it to look at these two together? Um, and what is it to see them in contrast, which I think a lot of the a lot of comments that I read played with that. Um, and so is there connection? We see this Parsha in some ways is listing just all of these rules, and then all of a sudden it lists these two back to back. Is there a connection there? Thank you for teasing that out. Yeah. Yeah. Gladly. Um, I want to, we'll, we'll have time for everyone. Karen, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, this phrase was a bit before psychotherapy was involved in life because thoughts and feelings are automatic behavior. We have control over. So I think there's a difference, although I understand what this is saying, if you feel some way, then you probably will act nicely. But <clears throat> it's what makes us a grown-up and balanced in our mind that although we hate somebody, we don't have to kill them. Or, you know what I'm saying? So you can have a million murders in your mind. Not that God would want you to, but you, that doesn't mean you act on your feelings. If you want to maintain law and order and love between neighbors. Yeah. So again, kind of drawing out what is it to feel something versus what is it to do something about it? Um, And I think it's interesting. You can't control your feelings. Right. So then, then I think to go back to what, um, to what Renee said about, to what Elon brought up about Bilba Vacha and then to what Renee said of maybe, of, of what does Bilva Vacha mean? And maybe it isn't as I postulated, maybe it isn't about a feeling, but maybe it's about, maybe it's about a different thing. Maybe Torah isn't trying to tell us how to feel because Torah doesn't demand anything of us we can't do. And so, yeah, Renee. So I'm, I'm looking at the word kinsfolk 
and thinking that there were many instances where there was hatred among mishpacha, between siblings and among mishpacha. And when they refer to kings, kinsfolk, are they referring to the kahal, to the tribes? Or does that also include kinsfolk like immediate family? Yeah, that's a great is question. Is it okay to hate one versus the other? Right. That's so, yeah, that's so interesting. So is it, is it Ahi, my brother? Is it like using this word Ah intentionally? Or is it doing something this, this year? I've studied a lot of biblical Hebrew and we talk a lot about parallelism. And so it's interesting to look that Achicha is parallel to Amitacha in this verse. Um, and then if you look at the next verse, you have Beneamacha, you have Lereacha, like you have all these words. And so is it, is it, distinct is Achicha being used in this rule for a particular reason? Um, or is it just another, someone wanted to get flowerly with language and didn't want to use the same word four times. And so they came up with something else. It's a great, it's a great question. And it's interesting because like, if you look here, kinsfolk and kinsman, I would say are the same word. Like one is gendered and one is not. But but clearly JPS is translating these two words as exactly the same, um, which is interesting. And there are different ways to translate them. Um, but then, yeah, I could talk all day about translation. Uh, but it is interesting. I think your question digs at something deeper of our these words, these different uses of a word for somebody you know, maybe at a different level of relation, but is the use of different words telling us something about each of these rules? Yeah. Nancy. So I'm a little confused about the connection of the second part to the first part. So like, is this, we're reproving or using words, right? To, to, tell this person they've done something wrong, that's okay. And I mean, the thing they've done wrong is why we hate them, but we're not allowed to hurt them or kill them. I mean, I just, yeah. Yeah, I love that question. So I I will say it now, and I was, this is perfect. I was going to say it after, just kind of shove it in, but this is perfect. I actually brought this verse because I actually wanted to talk about the second half of it. Like, I think this is fascinating. I think the concept of tochacha and rebuking your fellow and that you're obligated to it is so interesting. And so the question of why these two pieces together and are they related, Um and also, I think the question for me that also that you didn't ask is why this or which which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Do you mm. rebuke them because you hate them? Do you rebuke them because you don't hate them? Do you hate them because you rebuked them? Like, like which direction does this it, it could go in any order, right? If you if you hate someone, then maybe you're not likely to rebuke them because you think they're unchangeable. Like Mike said, if they hold this view that's so different than the way you walk in the world, maybe you're not going to rebuke them because you think they're unchanging and they're not worth it. Maybe if you hate them, you're going to rebuke them because it's easy to be like, Hey, you suck. Get better. If you hate them, maybe like there's so many ways this could play out. So that's a great question. What is the connection that these two these two, and also they could have put a period in between. 17 could have been, don't hate your fellow in your heart. And then 18 could have been, rebuke your fellow. So what is it that the Torah kept them together? And yet the translation separated them. 
And translation separated them. Yeah. A translation often, I will say though, is uncomfortable um, with how long sentences get in in Torah. Um, I will say also as someone who often translates Tanakh, it, it, they're definitely run-ons if you put them in English. Um, and especially here because there's no um, transition words. So there's no like and in any of this. Like it's one, it would be really confusing if we translate it in English. Don't hate your fellow in your heart. Rebuke rebuke your fellow and don't take sin upon yourself, like upon him. Like it doesn't quite, you need some sort of pause there. Translation is always a little bit inaccurate. Um, But yeah, the translation did add periods. I think more for clarity though, than making a particular statement. Um, Denise. So I feel like, um, I feel like, I don't know, in my life, I notice that a lot of times feelings and actions kind of blur and one informs the other. Um, so I feel like this is kind of speaking to that, that it, you know, that, well, maybe if you're a therapist, you have clarity about what's a thought and a feeling and what you can control. But like as a civilian, it's kind of all a salad a lot of the time, at least for me. Um, so I like, to me, it was like, the Torah is kind of acknowledging that in the way that it's written. Um, but I don't know. And then about rebuke, this just popped into my head when people were talking about it. I don't know if this is true or not. So I, I do these mindfulness classes. And then once a month in the, you know, they said like a weekly email, what's available this week. And once a month they have a theme. So a couple of months ago it was forgiveness. And they said, I really don't know if this is true, but it's cool either, either way. They said that there's in some village in Africa, all cool things come from random villages in Africa. Um, when a person does something egregious, they're put in the town square. And then everybody has to come up and repeat to them, not rebukes of how terrible they are, but part of their process is every single in the person in the town has to come up and tell them good things about themselves, good things that they've done, positive experiences, um, all, all this kind of stuff. And the idea is, you know, for the person to kind of have a better impression of themselves and sort of live up to who they can really be. Um, but when we're talking here about like not hating people in your heart and having that be the framework of Tokacha, it made me think of that true or not African example. It's so interesting. I love the fact that you just, the way you phrase that just like sparked something for me that, that don't hate your fellow is the framework for Tohacha. Like that's such an interesting, and I think that speaks to what Nancy, I think was talking about that, like that these two go together. And what if, whoa, I love this. I've, I mean, I spent a whole bunch of time prepping for this class and I've heard this before, but what if when we're rebuking, like, like maybe these go together because the thing we have to remember when we do this tohuha that's necessary is that we have to do it from a place where we're not hating someone, that it has to come from a place, dare I even say, of but it for sure at a minimum has to come from a place of not hating someone. And that's so interesting to use that as sort of the framework of it. I really, oh, I really like that. So interesting. Mike. In, in what you're saying, 
uh, not from a place of hate. I'm I'm just going to read a uh, in eighth time. It says uh, reprove your kinsman, and the commentary says the sages forbid carrying reproach to the point of embarrassing someone, thus incurring guilt because of that exchange. Something that is forbidden by Torah. The obligation to reprove is limited to cases in which one has reason to believe that the reproof will bring about a change in behavior. It should always be, and they use the word, a loving rebuke, never an occasion to belittle another for an errant behavior. Yeah, I love that. I think I brought something that sort of speaks to that. Um, but yeah, the the rabbis, um, Chazal really speaks to what, how do you... How do you rebuke your fellow and how do you do it in a place? They use this phrase that I love. It's, um, I have it. I brought it in Rashi and it will actually, we'll get there. Cause I'll, I'll bring that first once we finish. Cause I think it's so interesting. Excuse me. So interesting the way that they phrase it. I love the phrase that they use. Anyone else have any other questions? Any Kushio, particularly we talked a lot about the first half, but any other thoughts on before we dig into it? with some spoilers about, about this question about like this idea. Okay. Awesome. I'm going to stop sharing for a minute so I can, unless I can swap. Hold on. Um, hang on. I promise I know how zoom works and I also, you know, um, Oh, that worked. Can you see this now? Great. Hold on. I can't see it well enough. Okay. Awesome. Um, so here, okay. So this is what I brought from Rashi that I really love. So it's Rashi's asking the question about this last piece that someone else asked. I don't remember who, but someone else asked, like, what is it? What is it to not about hate? I think it was Karen. Was it you who asked about, about this last bit? Yeah. So Rashi is telling us what does it mean to not not take upon to not put upon him chait is to not whiten his face in the in the many. It's I love this word talbin. It's used in a bunch of ways, but it's always about it's about shame that you shouldn't shame your fellow. And the and Chazal took it so literally. Um, it's about making it. It comes from the word lavan, like to make white that you shouldn't cause someone like you shouldn't cause the color to drain from their face because they're so embarrassed. Um, which I just think is a fun phrase. I also think it's interesting because we associate nowadays, we associate shame with like turning red. Um, and so it's like an interesting that they went the other direction with it. Um, but I think that's really a fun one. So that comes to, to Mike's point. And then, um, Oh, I put the verse second. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Hang on, sorry. Um, hang on. Um, okay, this is the one. I, sorry, it's weird because normally there's like someone else here that can like riff while I'm scrolling, but it's all made today. So, okay, so this is from Yevamot from the section of the Gemara that talks about Yibum, about Leverite marriage, but really, as we know, Gemara talks about whatever it wants to talk about. Um, and so here it talks. Um, Rabbi Ilya said in the name of Rabbi Elazar, son of Rabbi Shimon, just as it is a mitzvah for a person to say that which will be heeded, so he did, H-E-E-D-E-D, in case you need to know, um, so is it a mitzvah for a person not to say that which will not be heeded. 
And Rabbi Abba says, it is obligatory, as it is stated, do not reprove a scorner lest he hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. So I, somebody brought something up that made me think of this, but this is really, to me, is saying you have to rebuke someone in a way that they can hear. That when you give tochacha, it is, sure, it's your obligation to, to, to give someone that feedback, but you have to do it in a way that can be heard and ultimately is about them and their growth, which I think Mike sort of touched on. Um, the time commentary is really funny because it'll often, it'll bring in all of these pieces. Um, what I also love about this is this piece it brings um, from Proverbs that feels like it ties the first half of this verse, the second half of this verse, and the end of the next verse all together. Um, and it goes the other way. It brings in, it it in some ways sort of brings this hate, this snu'ah onto the person who's receiving the tochacha, um, which I think is interesting. So Karen. I can't help myself about this one, but <clears throat> if you're, if you want to stay in connection, then the words you use and the way you approach someone that you're having difficulty with is to maintain that connection, right? And if you don't really care about connecting with this person, you could say anything you want and goodbye, goodbye. I mean, not according to this, perhaps, but that's the real thing. I think this is also saying, you know, if you want to stay in connection, say something that a person can hear. Not a blaming and not a you're the terrible person, you know, using, quote, I statements, you know, when you, I feel and all that. Um, I this absolutely rings of that for me. Yeah, I love that. I think that's that's and it and it's interesting because all of this is done with all of these relational words with with um, Achicha and Re'acha. And all of these relational worlds implying that these are people that you're in relationship with. It's not telling you go out and rebuke, um, um, go out and rebuke the Ammonites or go out and rebuke the Moabites. Like you can leave that to the, to the prophets. They'll go out and rebuke all the countries of the world, but it's up to you to rebuke your fellow that you're in relationship with. And then it, and then I love that the Torah just leaves it there, but then clearly, clearly the Gemara and other and other commentators want to tell you how to do that so you can be in relationship with these people. And it's hard. It's a really, it, it's hard to give, it's hard to give feedback. So Renee. When I read it, it, it had me thinking of, you know, what we tell little kids all the time. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say it. Yeah, which I think is interesting because I think I think here it's not saying that. Like Zafka, it's not saying if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it. It's saying if you have nothing nice to say, you still have to say it, but you f- have to figure out how to say it so you can be heard. Right. Say it in a way that the person will hear you and not feel attacked. Right, which is so interesting. It's interesting that you say that the person doesn't feel attacked because, again, we're talking about feelings and how do you how do you regulate what someone feels? Um, but at the same general, there's a general sense. I mean, you know, there are certain things that if you say certain things that across the board, it's, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be not a nice thing to say. Right. The general likelihood, it will affect people in a negative way. There are general, general, generalities that we can, 
say that we know will affect people in a negative way. Sometimes there's also specifics, depending on how well we know the person. You know, if we know, for instance, what uh, buttons, what pushes their buttons, we could dafka say something that we know is going to push their button, which is also not a good thing. Yeah, I'm only laughing because I definitely have those friends in life where I'm like, "Mm, I know exactly what I could say right now to push you over the edge and you're really annoying and I would really like to do it, but I probably shouldn't. Um, And it's interesting because, again, I would imagine, so I'm an only child, so I don't know, but I would assume that your siblings really know how to push your buttons. And if we want to go back to what you said earlier, Renee, of what is the implication of a chicha, I'd imagine those are people in your life who really just know how to how to get you and how to be like, you know, I don't like when you put your pinky toe over the line. That's my side of the room. Keep your pinky toe on your side. Like, you know. And the same in the positive direction. Also, those are also going to be people that because they know you better and they know what your buttons are, they also know what your good buttons are. They also know are tend to be will tend to be the people that can make you feel better if you're feeling icky. For sure. That is, so I will say that's that is one also thing true. that I miss very much with my brother having passed away. That's one thing that I really miss is not having him, him there to pull, pull me up when I yeah. need it. Yeah. And I think that comes to a little bit, the fact that this verse is sort of in partnership with that you love someone as you love yourself and and I wonder, and I, this isn't what I had intended to talk about, but I wonder if that is, and there's all sorts of questions. What is it to love someone as you love yourself and all of that? But like, what if it's, what if it's the, the knowing someone the way that you know yourself and taking the time and the care to get to know someone and find out what their good buttons are, which is such a funny, funny phrase. And I love that. But like, that I think is part of it is, is getting to know, getting to know someone. And someone else had a hand up that then went down. Everybody moved again. Okay, great. Okay, any other thoughts on this particular text? Great. Okay, hold on. Let's see what else is on here. Um, okay, so this I think is really interesting. So I, um, I really like Hebrew grammar, and it's really great because I'm in charge today, as Rabbi Shapiro told all of you. So I get to bring a grammar point. Um, so this is from Bava Metzia and it comes out somewhere else. But if you look at the verse, you have this construction, Chocheach Tochiach. It could have said, it could have said like one or the other because Lo Tisna is one word. It gives you the verb once. It says, don't do it. Um, and here it's giving you this verb twice. So there's a couple of opinions about it. So from Bava Metzia, it says, um, one of the sages said to Rava, say that from Chocheach, one derives the obligation, obligation to rebuke another once. And from Tochiach, one derives the obligation to rebuke another twice. And beyond that, there's no obligation. So it's, so this piece is playing with it and saying it's got two words because you have to do it twice. You have to say, hey, I don't like when you put your toe on my side of the bedroom. And then they do it again. And you have to again say, hey, I don't like when you put your toe on my side of the bedroom. And then once you've done that, you fulfilled your obligation, which I think is so interesting because the rabbi, like, 
what is it to be obligated in this? We didn't even talk about what is it to be obligated to rebuke someone? Are you on the hook if your rebuke doesn't work? What if someone just really likes putting their toe on the other side of the bedroom? Did you like you rebuke them, but maybe it didn't work. Are you now on the hook? So I think that this is such an interesting play with this, that it looks at it this way. And then I'm going to scroll. So if it's going to make you nauseous, just don't look. Hold on. Because there's another. Um, okay, here we go. So here's the Ein Yaakov commenting on Bav Mitzia. Um, And so he says... Um, so he's quoting a scholar that Srava, let us say, rebuke thou shalt rebuke, that means rebuke once and means twice. And Enyakov adds, the first one means even a hundred times. So he's saying you have to keep doing it. And the second one means that not only must the master must rebuke his pupil, but even the pupil must do so to his master. So this is interesting. So he plays with it in a different way. He says the first one means that you're just obligated in rebuke, that there's no number on it. There's no times. There's no, well, I tried three times and we're done. And the second one, he gets to this sort of power dynamic. So he uses master and teacher, I think, because, because that's the metaphor to them of of power is the teacher um and i think this is talking about speaking truth to power and saying that when a pupil someone who has no power the in the back in the i mean we believe our rabbis and our teachers are powerful but in the back in the day all the more so and and he's saying this is an obligation also of of student to teacher it's interesting because to him, that means that the obligation of teacher and student is known and is implied that it doesn't, that the Torah doesn't have to say that a student, a teacher must rebuke their student. And I think that's the question he asks of why. So it's, he's giving this, this thing and about, and about truth to power, which I think is, I don't know about anybody else, but I find that really scary to, to come and say, like, this is a thing that you, my teacher, or my mentor, or my rabbi have said to me or have done that doesn't feel good or doesn't feel right or whatever it is. And to come and talk about that, I think, um, is really tough. And I also think it creates an obligation on rabbis, teachers, mentors, all of us as humans who hold positions of power, even in families and with kids and all of that, of how do we remember that, that that person is obligated to do that? And how do we create space for that? That is one thing to obligate someone to come and speak to us and to say, Rabbi, you've done something wrong. But then what is the obligation on, on us, on me, on, on any of us as the person of power as to say, to hold that space and not be upset by it? And I think that, that creates, this creates a really a dual obligation um, of, of that. Yeah, Denise. So it just makes me think about like in the larger societal sphere too, you know, the, that requirement to speak truth to power, that it's not just for your teachers and, you know. Yeah. That this brings that of, of what is it to speak truth, big truth to big power that, 
you know, it's it's interesting when you look at um, a little bit Lahav deal, but when you look at reconstruct about some to some extent reconstructionist theology, but it's theology in general. If you when you look at some of the ideas of why in old, in ancient liturgy in the ancient world was was God referred to as king. It's because they say that, like, in the time of the liturgy, the biggest, greatest power that people could imagine was a king. And I think in the times of, of many of the rabbinic writings, to them, the greatest power, the, that, that strongest truth to power relationship was student to teacher. And, and so for us, this begs the question, um, what are the things in our life that represent that? And what are the big powers that we have to speak, speak a big truth to? And that this isn't just the same way that God is not just a king. And here I would say a teacher is not just a teacher. And this is a stand-in for what goes on in the big, the big wide world. And so who else are we obligated to speak, to speak truth to and to Tochacha? Mike. Well, I'm, <clears throat> I'm just thinking as a pediatrician, the dynamic between the adult or the parent who is the king in that relationship and the child and how uh, for the one, for the little child, uh, the parent's going to be all powerful, but you know, uh, uh, often a child's behavior will model how the parent responds, hopefully, and they respond in a way that um, brings about the desired result. Uh, uh, but there has to be some consideration, as you say, for the situation where uh, the pupil, you know, like the pupil does something, uh, must do to the master. I mean, the parent has to consider that and uh, make adjustments, either by, uh, it's a constant give and take, remove, you know, or in an older child, you parents have to think more, you know, they have to consider and, and uh, sort of it's a dynamic uh, relationship in much the same way. You know, I think, I think people get into positions of power, um, you know, uh, be it, you know, it could be rabbis, it could be a rabbinic school, it could be political. I mean, and they, they get set in their ways and, and oftentimes it, uh, it's time to, make changes. And I think uh, uh, students have a, a, you know, responsibility to uh, bring up certain things and, and press and sort of press the point, stretch to, uh, uh, to create uh, some dynamic for, for change. And it's nice to see that here in Enyakov. I mean, I think it's, it's fun. It's, uh, it's meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. And I think, I think both what you and what Denise said, I think for me, like I, this isn't the format of this class, but in some other, in a, some other parallel class, like want to ask the question, like, what are the places, and I would offer it for rumination, like, what are the places in your life where you feel obligated by this, where you feel either before this or now because of this, where are the places where you feel obligated to speak truth to power, where you feel obligated to step up and say like, hey, uncool, don't don't do that. Um, I think that's a really interesting... You know, um, from the trip to the South that we took, um, 
uh, obviously people are enslaved and then you have a narrative and that we could see you are very clearly on, um, <clears throat> that, okay, sla- um, slavery ended, but slavery didn't end. And, uh, you know, you just carry that narrative forward and, uh, and, you know, how people, uh, you know, act and how uh, it, it, it is required that, uh, that people speak up on, on these issues. Yeah, definitely. Denise, is your hand up again or still up? Okay. I wasn't sure. Sorry. No, you're good. I just didn't want to skip you. Okay. I'm going to go, hold on to... So this is interesting. So it doesn't, it doesn't pull, this is from, from the Talmud again, from Asafat Shabbat. And it doesn't, wait, hold on one second. Do I want to do this or do I want to do Ibn Ezra? Sorry, hang on. Um, okay. I want to do this and then I want to go to Ibn Ezra. Okay. Sorry. So this is coming out of Masachat Shabbat. Um, and this is Rav and Rav Hanina and Rav Yochanan and Rav Chaviva, um, taught. Anyone who can forbid his household um, from committing a sin, so they're really talking about a little bit about like pre-tochacha, um, but does not, um, is is seized, is sort of is punished for the sins of his household. And then they expand outward for his citizens, he's seized for his fellow citizens and for the whole world. So it's not playing with the verse quite in the same way, um, but this is where it's coming out of. But I love this idea of this, that the, that the word is repeated because it gives you these circles of obligation of you're obligated for your, for your family. And then a second time is a reminder, you're obligated to your, to your like community and then to the greater world. And I think you could draw these circles in a lot of ways and we're not, we're not bound by two. Um, And if I, if I remember correctly, I think the number is three, where at some point when the rabbis, when Chazal brings a certain number of examples, they, it's an ad infinitum sort of situation. Um, and so you get here these layers, these circles of responsibility of who, of it's not. And I think this comes back a little bit to Renee's, to Renee's point of what is the use of this word achicha. And it starts here with household, but then it moves outward. And what is that? And what does that look like? And, and to Karen's point, the language might be different. What does it look like when you speak when you speak to a sibling or a parent or a child versus what does it look like when you speak to your neighbor about bringing in their trash cans? And what does it look like? I, I think about something, it's interesting. I know it's a very, in some ways, simplistic answer, but thinking about something like trash, like what does it look like when you like tell your kid to take the trash out versus what's the conversation when you tell your neighbor to like stop throwing trash in your trash bin? Versus what's the conversation when you ask corporations to stop dumping? Like what, like those are all the same sort of rebuke. Their rebuke is like, put your trash where it belongs, but they all look so different. And in what ways are we obligated in them? And how are we, how, and this is saying we're obligated in all of them, that it's not just enough to like tell your kid to take out the trash or tell your kid they missed trash day again. So take out the trash. It's not enough to tell your neighbor, like keep your trash in your own trash can. And you really have to go all the way. And I think that's, I don't know. I don't know how that sits for people. Does that feel good? Does that feel too big? Like, how does that, 
what do you think Denise and then Karen so it says here whoever can forbid the household and doesn't is seized for the sins so maybe not everyone can in every situation yeah, the the Hebrew is is Misha Afshar, so for Kol Misha Afshar, so for anyone for whom it is possible, yeah. So it brings in, it brings in that only if you can sort of thing, which I think, I mean, in I, some way, go like, ahead, Denise. It can stretch us, you know what I mean? Because sometimes we feel like we can't, but maybe we can, or we can do a little, or you know, um, yeah. But at the same time you know, sometimes you just can't, but then it also like, because there's that thing where if you can't, then you can't, but if you could, or if there was some way, then you're, you are held sort of responsible. So that I think it kind of half empowers, half sort of compels people. Maybe I can't do it by myself. I'm looking at Nancy and we do all this one LA stuff, but you know, maybe I can't by myself, but 30 different groups of people who have the same issue could, you know? Yes. I love this. I love it about being in community also. Um, it also makes me think of the teaching from Pierre Kayavo that, that it's not on you to complete the work, but neither are you free to desist from it. I think it's such a, it's such a Jewish theme that if you can do something, you must do something, but also you don't have to, you don't have to do everything and you can't do everything. And I think that's such a, such a Jewish theme that we see here and in other places. Um, Karen. Okay, so I'm sitting here. So a protest, is that something related here to this? And is a law, is a, is a law a sin, like breaking a law? Are you sinning? Or is this, what is this? Uh, yeah. Because was it a sin? I don't even want to say the date, but you all know what I mean. Um, January. <coughs> uh, you know, or, any, or abortion now with the things going on. Are they sin? Who's sinning? And what is the sin? Well, I also, I also want to, I also want to push back on your question. And that's why I went to pull up the verse. I forget that I'm sharing my screen, but I went to look because it says, reprove your kinsman it doesn't tell us anything about why it doesn't say reprove him when he sins it just says reprove him it, it i don't i i'm going to simplify for a minute and not because the question you're asking is simple but i i think it's a it's a gray area of what does this apply to i think like something for example like when you you teach a child that like you sneeze into your elbow, right? Hopefully we're teaching to like, you, you know, don't, don't sneeze into your open hand. Also, if that is news to anyone, I'm very sorry, but you are all about to get tofasad by me. Please don't sneeze into your hands. You should sneeze into your elbow. And so if I, an adult have a classmate who coughs into their hands and I say to them, Hey, I really think you should consider coughing into your elbow. I would say that's tofasad, but I don't know that they've, sinned per se. So I think that's an interesting question that like didn't come out at the beginning, but I think now is very interesting of, of for what things are we obligated to rebuke someone? Are we obligated only if they're going to sin? 
Or are we obligated if they're like not being the best citizen in the world? But clearly sneezing into your hands is not like a sin in the way that, you know, I don't think anybody wrote about that in any book of needs vote. So I don't know. It's a good, it's a good question. And I don't, I think you have to dig deep to the question of is a protest a tochacha? I think that's a, that's a deeply personal question. And is that, is that fulfilling your obligation um, to this? Oh my gosh. I love when this happens where I'm like, what's going to happen. And then it's, and then it's 1156 and everybody has thoughts on it. And it's delightful. I was just thinking about the power <clears throat> when you said persons in power. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking with the protests. I mean, that's how one does, I guess, the power or writing letters or whatever. But anyway, I'll be quiet. Yeah. No, it's a good question. Yeah. I'm going to go Mike, Nancy, Denise, and then hopefully no one has any other thoughts. And we can wrap up. But go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Uh, thanks. I think, you know, uh, I think these, uh, this requirement, to re- it puts a lot of pressure on us humans and we're very fallible. And uh, I'd like, you know, you, you maybe you can comment on this. Uh, the idea that God uh, is, you know, you have to always think that God is approaching us with love. That's what he wants us to do. And he wants us to be, to be um, in a way, uh, th- this idea of uh, loving rebuke. And, and it's, a, it's a lot to put on on us humans who are so fallible. But I, I just also want to just compliment you on the class because it gives us so much to think about in this world, in this world that we live in, where we are having to deal with this on a everyday basis and uh, in so many different ways. And uh, so, uh, Yasha Koach. Thank you. Yeah, it's 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 big. I mean, these are big questions. And I think we so often talk about what are Jewish values and also how do you guide your life by Jewish values? And I think so often I think Tokaga is one for me that the more the more I've learned and the more engaged I've become in Jewish learning, the more I realize like this really is a value and how do we live this out in how do I live this out in my life and how do we live this out in our lives in a meaningful and kind way? And how do we, and I, and I always love the question of, I always think the question of like modeling our life after God is so interesting of the way, of the way that, because when we look at Tochacha in Torah, it, I'm going to, I'm sure there are positive examples, but it's hard when I come to God in Tochacha and Torah, I think of like God flooding the world and I think of God destroying cities. And I have lots of feelings about God of, uh, God of the Old Testament, as some say, Um but so it's interesting in what are the ways that we, good, bad, or otherwise, look at God as a model of tohokha and of other values in our lives. Nancy. I agree with Michael. This has really made me think a lot. But, you know, a lot of times when we say, so why do we do either the speaking truth to power or the good works that we do, we throw around, you know, tikkun olam, and that's great. But that doesn't feel quite like the obligation that this is. So this is really interesting that that here it's it's my obligation to do this, um, you know, as opposed to, well, it would be really nice. I also think it's interesting in comparing it to Tikkun Olam um, because 
This is not the uh, tikkun olam implies fixing. It implies that there is a tikkun. And there are lots of ways that people look at the word tikkun and what does it really mean. But ultimately, tikkun olam is an outcome. And you can't guarantee an outcome. But this is the obligation of the input. And this is saying, and I think it's it, and it could be, and somebody said it before, it's empowering to say that, like, you can't rest on your laurels, but you can know that you fulfilled your obligation by starting the conversation. And that I think it can be really empowering as long as you don't use it to then rest on your laurels. But it can be empowering to say, like, I fulfilled my obligation because I started a conversation, even if the outcome isn't the tikkun we're looking for there was meaning in that and there was Jewish living our values in that. And I think that's important also. And I really appreciate that you brought that last one, Denise, no pressure though. It just happens to be last. It's not a wrap up. I'll put the bow on it. Don't worry. Okay. So when you say um, a couple of comments ago, you were saying, you know, um, how often do you comment or kind of where do you draw that line and stuff? And I thought, well, maybe, okay, this time I'm going to remember to take my hand down. Maybe um, that's what is juxtaposed with Vaftalera Kamocha of like, you know, do it with love. Like, don't drive people crazy the same way that you wouldn't want to hear like machine gun fire criticism every day, all day, you know, measure it out, do it with love, do it with compassion and like, you know, and, and kind of remembering or trying to remember that most of the time, most people are doing their best. They might have huge blind spots and they might get it wrong in huge ways, but they're generally not trying to. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, um, it's also the perfect, the perfect transition into the bow that I'm going to put on it. Courtesy of Rabbi Matrapiro emailing me very early this morning. Um, and he, he sent me an article that I really like and it, and it brings this and it brings the question, is this a random list or do the, is the part of Kodoshim just all these rules thrown together or is it a particular reason? Um, and so this, this answer brings Ramban, Nachmanides, um, explains it is the way of haters to cover up the hatred in their hearts. So he's connecting these, and then he says that it's a that it's a logical flow. And the writer offers this this translation, which I interpretation elucidation translation is pretty loosey goosey here, but offers: Do not push down your hatred, or it will infect your heart. Instead, rebuke your neighbor if he is acting unjustly by actively speaking out and entering into relationship with another. You will no longer be tempted by revenge or cling to grudges. At the end of this process, you may just find that there is nothing left to do but to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and I, I also do agree with you, Paula. I have so many feelings about this this week in particular. But, um, but I love this that it's really that ultimately the purpose of this is bringing people into relationship with each other, which I think is so powerful. So much of this semester in school, I've been studying Kabbalah and which is just like this whole fun theology. Um, But it's about relation, Kabbalah particularly is about relationship with the divine. And so much of Torah is how to be in relationship with the divine. And here it's teaching us how to be in relationship with each other. And that when we work at it, when we work at it and we work hard and we put in the hard work because it's not easy to do, we find ourselves 
in relationship and in powerful relationships. And we find that we uh, surprisingly might even just love our neighbor because we've worked at it and they've worked at it and we're all working at it together. Um, so yeah. And thank you all for being here. Thank you for, um, for being here with me. And um, I believe everybody else is back next week. We'll all find out next week. So uh, thank you. Great job. Thank you. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.